The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 214. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panel I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor story, The Doctor's Wife. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Steaker. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Uh, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and be sure to leave us comments in both places. We love to hear from you on what you think of what we're talking about. So, uh, today we're talking about The Doctor's Wife, and no, I don't mean River Song. <laughs> mm. Well, and that's an, that's an important point, because this was in the season leading up to mm-hmm. him getting married to River Song, yep. and so the idea of River being his wife is very much on the was very much on the fandom's mind, and to yes. tease us with an episode called The Doctor's Wife and have it not be River, what's that about? But yes. I think they did it well. Yeah. If you look structurally through the history of the show, the TARDIS is the Doctor's wife. Right. So regardless so, of what human wife he so, might have. So, so you're saying the Doctor's a polygamist. He's got the TARDIS <laughs> and River as his wives. Well, yeah. there are 12 or 13 or 14 of him now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It, so... We should point out, too, that this episode was written by Neil Gaiman, and this was the mm-hmm. first one he wrote. I think he's written several since. Well, the- he's, he's, written, he's written two for, uh, for t- as episodes. He wrote uh-huh. this, and he wrote Nightmare in Silver. Oh. And I was really excited when they announced Neil Gaiman was going to be the author of this episode because he's a very famous comic book uh, art, uh, writer that I've been mm-hmm. familiar with for years, and he has a reputation for being very intellectual and sophisticated and high quality mm-hmm. in what he does. Yeah, yes. And I think that definitely came through here. He's also subsequently written some other things. He's written like a comic story, incidentally, involving the Corsair, who gets mm-hmm. mentioned oh. in this episode. Cool. And he's written some other things. He wrote... For Doctor Who Lockdown, Rory's story, yes. where, where Rory is talking to a cell phone, the last, the only cell phone in the world, oh, that's <laughs> record, right. recording a message for his future son. Yes, in 1947 or something like that. Yes, that was, that was awesome. That was really good. One of the things that I found interesting about this is it was kind of written backwards from a certain perspective. The initial idea for this that he got was... Someone is chasing the doctor through the TARDIS, some evil alien. Mm-hmm. And then he thought, well, the doctor kind of knows the TARDIS really well. That's going to give him an advantage. So let's make it the companions instead of the doctor. Right. And then he got the idea. So, so that would place the doctor off the TARDIS, presumably, when the chasing occurs. And then he said, 
let's make it more interesting. Let's get rid of the evil alien and make it the TARDIS itself. Right. Mm. And then he said, okay, so then we need an explanation for why is the TARDIS doing this? And that led to the idea of the TARDIS's consciousness has been displaced into the body of a woman. And, and an evil consciousness is in control of the TARDIS. And that's the most interesting thing about this. The running yes. through corridors is the least interesting. The most interesting thing and the thing that makes this episode is personifying the TARDIS. And it's right. interesting that he kind of backed himself into that idea from a running through corridors idea. Well, and it, we've known throughout the history of Doctor Who that the TARDIS, of course, is telepathic. It can mm-hmm. make telepathic links to, to the companions and the Doctor. And we we know, of course, just by watching it, that it does have a personality of sorts. But to actually make that as a almost like a living consciousness, right, is kind to, of that next step. The TARDIS has had a personality uh, mm-hmm. throughout, but an unspoken one. And so, for the first time, the TARDIS gets in fifty years, almost at that point, the TARDIS gets to speak, and and and. Or- this is a character, literally, like as much as the Enterprise is a character in Star Trek. More so. I mean, yeah. we've, we've had indications all the way from an unearthly child from the very first episode that the TARDIS was alive. Yeah. Ian, Ian comments on it. And right. in the third Doctor's time, the, uh, and, and the Doctor doesn't deny it, in the third Doctor's time, someone directly states to John Pertwee, you're talking about it like it's alive. And he's going, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So a couple more uh, behind the scenes before we get into the actual uh, episode itself. The TARDIS console in this episode, not the, the not the Doctor's TARDIS, but the one he builds with the, the TARDIS's consciousness, that console was designed by a teenage girl for another one of those Blue Peter competitions. Blue Peter is a kid show in, in Britain. And there were other Doctor Who-related contests before, like for Love and Monsters and Utopia. The Love and Monsters one was designed the Absorbalov. Remember that? So, uh, but this one, a, a teenage girl designed this TARDIS console area, and so they incorporated that into the episode, uh, and mm. then it became a toy that was like an action figure set that you could buy, which is, for, for, the, for the girl who won, I think that's pretty awesome for yep. to, to have that. Yeah. Uh, I'd put that on my resume. I wonder, wonder if she gets royalties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what uh, I, uh, one thing I want to say just on the meta level before we dig down into the episode is I consider this a classic. This is yes. one of my all-time favorite episodes. I'd forgotten how much I enjoy this. I consider it one of the classic episodes, but it is not, despite that, it is not an episode that I would show to a first-timer. Oh, some yes. Some of the classic episodes like Blink or Silence in the Library I will use to introduce people to Doctor Who. But this wouldn't work for that because you have to appreciate the role of the TARDIS in the show for this mm-hmm. to, to get this episode. Most definitely, most definitely. Uh, sp- well, and speaking of as, as a classic, uh, the the last point I want to make is uh, this episode won a Hugo Award in 2012 for dramatic short form uh, present film presentation, uh, and it was the first Hugo Award winning Doctor Who episode that was written not by a showrunner. So oh, interesting. interesting, the little tidbit there. So, uh, yes, I, I, I agree. I, I really enjoyed this. It was very tight, very tightly written. There's not a lot of extra going on here. No. Even despite the running through quarters. I was going to say, so, but that's like actually part of the plot. So <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So it starts with, we see this uh, young woman and an elderly woman in, in a strange cluttered place uh, wearing old clothes that are seemingly out of time. 
Uh, and then they encounter a man in an old military uniform. I think it's at one point something online said, described it as a Confederate army uniform, but it's not. No, no. See, I thought it looked like French. It looked French. It yeah. was actually, I think it was a conglomeration of several different uniform, old uniforms, but yeah. Well, it, the Confederates were gray. Friend, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Confederates were gray. This was blue, so totally not right. Anyway, she calls the man uncle. He tells her she's going to undergo a painful experience. And then an ood appears and leads her to a platform. And the names we're given is the the old man is uncle. The old the not old she's not all that old. She's an older woman is auntie. The ood is called nephew, and the girl mm-hmm. is called Idris. So the young yeah. woman, it's not really only one with a real name. Yes, and she doesn't get to use it long. No, no, uh, because the she's told that the nephew, the ood, is going to drain her mind and soul from her body and leave her body empty. But not to worry, she'll have a new soul because a Time Lord is coming. So, mm, yeah. Oh, by the way, for the first time since the horror of Fang Rock, just for once, everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody dies. <laughs> everybody stays but dead. the Doctor and Companions, yeah. Right, and the TARDIS. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So on the TARDIS, they're, you know, in the control room, the Doctor here is shaving a haircut on the TARDIS door. Someone's knocking. Uh, even though they're in deep space, and he opens the door, and it's an emergency telegraphic message cube from another Time Lord. Telepathic. Yes. Uh, and the Doctor is convinced that this means that there's another Time Lord out there. And as we recall, at this period in Doctor Who, he thinks that all other Time Lords are dead. Like, and and this, is, this is great to see, because this is a callback all the way to the War Games where the second Doctor constructed an emergency telepathic cube to communicate with the other Time Lords. The Doctor explains it's an emergency messaging system that Time Lords use, and it's great to see it again. It's visualized slightly differently, yep. but it's the same thing. And he's also got an explanation for why there could be another Time Lord around, because he killed all the ones he thinks in the universe, and this is in a bubble universe, sort of not really, that's outside our universe right. so there could be another time lord there right uh the, there's a symbol on the box of an ouroboros which is the snake eating its own tail and he says that's the mark of the corsair uh who uh it, it doesn't feel complete unless he's got the tattoo in every regeneration which i i'd love to see stories about the corsair <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so as you say if neil gaiman has written them i want to check them out uh and it's also the first time in Doctor Who, that it's said, you know, in you know, in the script, that a Time Lord can switch sexes during a regeneration. So it comes up again later on, but he does mention that the Corsair has been both a man and a woman uh, at different points. So uh, Gallifreyans have uh, this indeterminate. They're like uh, Black Mollies. Exactly. Mm. Yes, they're not human. That's for sure. So uh, they have to leave the universe to go where the message came from, which. Interestingly, it has to burn up parts of the TARDIS in the process to get enough energy and oomph right. to go. Which we have uh, seen we, before. We, we've, yep. we've seen that before. Uh, the Fifth Doctor's uh, first episode, they had to do that to escape. Uh, was it a black hole? No, it wasn't the Fifth Doctor's first episode. Yeah, it was. It was, it was the Fifth Doctor. Yeah, yeah, Fifth Doctor's first episode. They had to escape like a black hole or the beginning of the universe or something like that. Right, right. Yes. And yeah, this whole idea of like burning up uh, parts, including apparently... Amy and Rory's bedroom get burned yep. up. All the <laughs> so bedrooms. Nothing important. Yeah, all the bedrooms. Uh, and, and when they land where they're going, all of the power of the TARDIS drains out. Uh, so the TARDIS is basically like dead in the water. There's no, ener- no you know, energy powering it. 
But there's lots of the needed energy around, so the doctor says it'll recharge quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes, rift energy, as we're called. Uh, we're told it's called, and uh, we and we've seen that before. And then the uh, the soul of the TARDIS is put in that young woman Idris, and we we see her giving off Artron energy as it enters her. So it is a definitely and, a connection. And you hear the to you hear the TARDIS noise. Yes, coming out of her mouth, which is uh, yeah. very distinctive. So then we squash all of our characters onto the same set, and Idris <laughs> comes running towards the Doctor, yelling, "Thief! Thief! You're my yes. thief!" Yeah. Which is a great, <laughs> great line from the perspective yes. of the TARDIS. Yep. Yes, my thief. Uh, which, yeah, I love that idea. It's very confusing because the Doctor doesn't know what's going. No one knows what's going on here. Uh, so they're in a tiny bubble universe on the outside of the big, the main Prime universe, our universe. It- in- Except the doctor says that's completely wrong, but if it helps you, accept it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he keeps saying that. Uh, and all the junk around him, looks, it's a junkyard, and all the junk mm-hmm. around them is stuff that's fallen into the rift that that connects the bubble universe and our universe. I find it interesting, so when, the, when Idris runs to the doctor calling him thief, the uncle says, watch out, she's dangerous. I, th- I found that interesting. Well, she's going through generation madness. Yeah. Yes. That she does act like the like a doctor who's just regenerated. So yeah, she acts mad. She kisses him. She can't keep her tenses straight. <laughs> she yeah, I, she more than kisses him. She uh, she uncle warns she bites and she says I do and she she, she bites the doctor and then she says I like biting. It's like kissing, but there's a winner. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which, which is apparently a line Stephen Moffat put in the script. Yeah, that, yes, uh, yeah, that that is a good one. Uh, uh, Auntie reveals that all of them were repaired by House, and House, it appears, they eventually figure out, is the planetoid that they're standing on. It's it's alive, this destination, this little world, asteroid, planetoid, something. Boxes will make you mad. <laughs> yes. Yep. The Ood nephew appears. Like he, You ever keep noticing, noticing that he keeps appearing like just out of nowhere? He's just suddenly there. Like he never mm-hmm. walks in. He just is like you turn and he's standing there. I thought that was interesting. They don't and they don't say anything about it. Ood are like that. They're oody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh he appears and the doctor fixes his the little communicator ball. It's apparently not working. He also has uh creepy green eyes, which is we've mm-hmm. not seen Oods have before. Uh and when he fixes the communicator ball Well, glowing green is house's signature color. R- right, that's right. I should I should uh, mention mm-hmm. that. Um, it the the uh, communicator device transmit the Corsair's message, uh, which is, if you're receiving this message, please help me. Send a signal to the High Council of the Time Lords on Gallifrey. Tell them I'm still alive. I don't know where I am. I'm on some rock-like planet. Uh, and there are many other voices, too. And we're not—we can kind of assume that that's the Corsair, but we don't know it. Right. There's actually a, um, a, a, a myth that that's Paul McGann. Hmm. And, ah. it's his, and it's his doctor, but it's not. There's right. no evidence that's Paul McGann. Uh, but we hear lots of these overlapping distress messages, and, and the doctor wants to then find out where they're coming from. So he lies to Amy and Rory, telling them he's forgotten his sonic screwdriver in his other jacket that they've never seen. Can you go mm-hmm. get it from the TARDIS? Yes. Yes. Uh, we also see the that House speaks through Auntie and Uncle like puppets, by the way. That's an mm-hmm. important point. Really creepily. I mean, it's, oh, he yeah. heals us and feeds us and clothes us, and we do my will. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, the voice of House is awesome. It's uh, David 
David Sheehan, I think, um, who does is an actor who's done several things related to Neil Gaiman's work. So, uh, it, but the voice is so very like it's hard to place how the the voice comes across like a kid's like a narrator of a kid's cartoon, very deep, mm-hmm. very soothing, but yet creepy. Uh, so kind it's of, kind of, of haunt- Burl Ives or some you know somebody like that, you know, yeah, haunting. It's kind yes. of a haunting house. Yes, it is. Oh, uh, so Amy. Amy picks up on the doctor, the the, the doctor's inner t- turmoil. She she says, uh, when he finds these time lords, he's going to need to explain what he did to the rest of the time lords. Mm. And she intuits that he's so you know into this because he wants to be forgiven for what he's done to, to Gallifrey. He says, "Don't we all?" Uh, which is interesting. Yeah. Don't we? Don't we all want to be forgiven? And then she tells him not to get emotional because when he gets emotional, he makes mistakes. Uh, so kind of an interesting... Like killing all the Time Lords. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So like you said, he sent Amy and Rory back to the TARDIS and then locks the door behind them so they can't get out. At which point, green smoke from house starts to writhe around the outside of the TARDIS. So something is going on. But then he's, meanwhile, looking around and finds a cupboard full of these Time Lord distress signal boxes and realizes that Auntie and Uncle are patchwork people repaired from various people parts, including the Corsair. So all these Time Lords are now dead in parts, parts as parts, Box, I guess. Boxes will make you angry. Yep. Right. That's uh, what uh, Idris had told him ahead of time, uh, that the boxes will make you angry. And so when he finds the boxes, he's angry. Uh, and this, at this point, the episode is heavily reminiscent of a fourth Doctor episode called The Brain of Morbius, mm-hmm. which is set in Gallifrey's own solar system. And it's another desolate, barren planet with a junkyard on it and 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 aliens that crash get knitted together to form patchwork people. Oh, um, interesting. I didn't realize that. We're going to be talking about uh, Brain of Morbius uh, soon. It's coming up in yeah, our Yeah, good our episode. Rotation. It's, 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 it's uh, one of the... Peter Hinchcliffe, uh, Robert Holmes era gothic tales that's based, in this case, off Frankenstein. And it introduces the so-called Morbius Doctors, the pre- yes. the mysterious eight previous regenerations of the Doctor that now are canon. Yes, yep. yes. Uh, so realizing Idris knew about these boxes ahead of time, he goes to find her, and she's, he finds her in a cage, and she sa- he demands to know how she knew, and she says, it's about time. Which I love at, as a double mm-hmm. meaning, uh, because on one hand, it's about time you came to find me. But on the other hand, the reason she knows is time. It's about time that she's right. she's a TARDIS, there's, there's, and so therefore sees that, all of time. Yeah, there's a sense that the TARDIS can, can, uh, is beyond just the immediate time it's located at. Right. It exists right. in all those times. And although it's a clever pun, it's not original to Neil Gaiman. Right, that one's right. been around for a while. There was even a, a decades ago. There was a uh, a special on TV with that title. It's about time by physicist Paul Davies. Oh, hmm. <laughs> uh, so she tells him she's the TARDIS and t- tells her, you know, you stole me, I stole you, which is a nice little thing that yes. she stole because then she did because she flew him around where he needed to go without well, being in control. And, and, and there's some great wordplay here. I mean, she later on talks about how I was uh, kind of a little proud of herself. She's talking about how I stole a time lord so I could see the universe. <laughs> but 
here she's she's you know talking about how you stole me and I stole you and he says borrowed and she says borrowed implies the intention to give back what makes you think I would ever give you back <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she also says uh you know as she's experiencing being in a human body she says are all people like this so much bigger on the inside which i love that as a uh, <laughs> yep. another reference uh because people are bigger well, on the inside aren't they well and we find out that and i can't remember this part is a little bit later on that the doctor has been traveling in the tardis for 700 years at this point yep yeah so he was about 200 years old when he left gallifrey right right uh, and we've also had other time periods mentioned again in the possible astronaut so we're getting much more uh, d- definitive about the doctor's age and time and that sort of stuff. So we're told that the house eats TARDISes, and but it has to remove the TARDIS matrix first, or mm-hmm. it would blow a hole in the universe. So that's why it, you know, the TARDIS is inside Idris's body. Uh, so house removes it, then feeds on the rift energy in the TARDIS. And the doctor then realizes, uh, Amy and Rory are in the TARDIS that's about to get eaten. We need to do something about that. And, oh, by the way, the doctor also told him that this is the last TARDIS in existence. Yeah. Yes, which is important. which is Which is what motivates him to then not eat the TARDIS, but try to use it for a jailbreak from the not-bubble universe. Right. right. To go back to our universe to find more TARDISes. Yeah. Now, inside the TARDIS, we hear the cloister bell as yep. House assumes control of it, which would imply that there's some residual consciousness in the TARDIS to sound the cloister bell. Mm-hmm. And then House starts talking to Amy and Rory and says, why shouldn't I just kill you now? And Amy kind of fumbles and hands the question over to Rory, and Rory <laughs> has the worst answer in the world. <laughs> yes. I immediately thought of a better answer. Right. But instead, Rory says, well, if you killed us now, it wouldn't be any fun, and you need to have fun, don't you? And the and the house says, okay, let's have some fun killing you, and, <laughs> yeah. and proceeds to start torturing them, and we run through the corridors, and he starts playing mind games with them and things like that, and it's like, Rory, worst answer ever. If <laughs> If someone asks why you shouldn't be killed, do not suggest torture as a as an as an alternative <laughs> right right there. how yes. about i can help you we know what's going on in the universe we yes. can yeah. be your servants you won't be lonely we can be your friends or anything yeah. anything yeah <laughs> yeah uh, because you don't have legs you can we, we can walk outside the tardis for you uh in any case well so the doctor gets left behind and says, uh, I don't know what to do. That's a new feeling. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> he talks to auntie and uncle who tell him this precisely that because the the doctor said the TARDIS is the last TARDIS house hijacked to go back to the universe to find more. And then auntie and uncle keel over and die because house is no longer there keeping them alive. Uh, so Idris then reminds Idris slash TARDIS. I'll just call her Idris for short. Reminds no, just the doctor. call her the TARDIS. That's who she is now. Well, I don't want to get confused with the other, the TARDIS, the, the box, the box and <laughs> no. the TARDIS console. So I, I, I was having a hard time keeping it straight in my notes. So I'll just call her Idris, uh, mm. which sounds a lot like TARDIS, if you think about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she reminds the doctor that they're standing in a TARDIS junkyard, and so they should build a new TARDIS from the parts they're about, uh, which, which is helpful when you have a sentient TARDIS with hands and feet and, <laughs> and voice to help you build a replica of, of herself or a... A working model, put it that way. 
So we have this moment where they're looking at this valley in the mm-hmm. giant space junkyard. And by the way, the giant space junkyard looks really good. I mean, there are these yep. mammoth spaceships and stuff that we see in the background. Yes. But we look at this valley-like thing, and she compares it to looking at the corpses of her sisters who have all been killed. Mm-hmm. Right. And according to some, this is an allusion to an unearthly child where the TARDIS was found in a junkyard. I don't really see that, but they do find a lot of TARDIS components in this junkyard, and right. they start yeah. cobbling one together. And I love how Idris is chiding the doctor. Now, her body is starting to shut down. She's right. got like eight minutes to live, or 18 minutes to live, which is a coincidentally just about the runtime left in this episode. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But she's, so she, because of she's breaking down, she can't physically contribute to the work as much as the doctor can. So he's lugging big, you know, panels and stuff to build the TARDIS out of. And she's giving him advice, which he's resisting and saying, you know, I've I done this before. Rebuilt, I've rebuilt yeah. <laughs> the TARDIS before. And she's like, you are like a nine-year-old little boy putting together a bicycle in your room. You never read the instructions. And he says, yes, I do. I always read the instructions. And she says, what does it say on my front door? Yeah. I love and that. he's like, pull to open. And which do you do? I push. Uh, yeah. For 700 years, it's been right there. And you don't pull to open. It's like, And they never say in this episode that she's the doctor's wife, despite the title. But yet they're like a married couple here where the wife goes, oh, yeah, what color are my eyes? Uh, <laughs> Hazel? <laughs> that one I would know. But... Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes. Pull, been... pull to open is great. I love that they did that. Now, nitpickers have pointed out that technically on a police box, that refers to the compartment with the phone. Right. Right. That you pull to open that. But it's also true that traditionally police boxes, you do pull the doors to open. Right. Yes. Well, a real police <laughs> box is the- too small to open into it because then you wouldn't right. be able to actually you know, get in and close it as you're supposed to be able to do. But that original uh, prop master who built the doors to swing it hurt. <laughs> uh, so the House, having been told you need to keep us around to entertain you, it tells Amy and Roy to run. So we see lots of corridors we've never seen before in New Who. We've seen mm-hmm. uh, TARDIS corridors in, in Old Who. And uh, we're told the anti-grav safeties are off, so it's like a holodeck here uh, where the safeties <laughs> are turned off. The Doctor and Idris are, are bickering about building this console, as we mentioned. I'm, I notice she has an advantage because she knows him better than anyone, even River, yeah. who really knows a lot about the Doctor. So he's really on his heels in these in these conversations mm-hmm. and debates, which is a lot of fun to see the doctor sort of at a disadvantage. Yeah, like when she he pushes back and complains about her not taking him where he wants to go. Well, I always took you where you needed to go. Right. And that's unanswerable. And she, I love her perspective on things. She talks to him like he's a kind of irresponsible husband about he gets, he goes out, he has adventures, he brings home strays, meaning the companions. Yeah, yeah. The doctor also tries pushing back. She she says, why do you think I chose you? And he says, I chose you. You were unlocked. And she says, of course I was. <laughs> yep. Me- meaning, meaning she unlocked herself to catch the doctor. Right. And, and she says that the reason she chose him was she stole a Time Lord so she could see the universe and he was the only one mad enough. Mm-hmm. Right. There's also a, little, a nice little discussion about being safe. You know, he says... Using a console without a proper shell, it's not going to be safe. And she says, this body has about 18 minutes left to live. The universe we're in will reach absolute zero in three hours. 
safe is relative, which I love yeah. that. Like, safe is relative. Uh, seems a, a, a good the, the, message yeah. for our times. <laughs> the doctor himself has has said similar things. Right. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, tar- like, in the third doctor time and other times, that the doctor using a TARDIS console without the TARDIS shell to yep. get around. So that, that's yeah, happened. Yeah, that, that's in Inferno. Right. Uh, so on the TARDIS itself, the, the box, Amy Let and Rory— Let the mind games— begin yes they get separated and we have this what seems like a moment for amy turns out to be ours for rory and then they get separated almost immediately again and now she finds him as an old man who's now crazy and then finds his corpse among rantings he's written on the wall to kill amy but then amy kill amy right and then rory shows up and it has it's all been an illusion uh they really he really weren't separated for years uh from his perspective. Uh, by, by the way, him. this separation of Amy and Rory lasting years is something we're going to revisit next season where mm-hmm. Amy is the girl who waited for decades. Yes. Right, right. Only yes. for real. Yes. So, and, and, and it's not the first time. I mean, um, Rory mentions uh, from last season's series finale, he waited for 2,000 years for Amy. So they yep. have a tendency of missing <laughs> dates. Yeah, at least they they both ended up in 1945 together or whatever. Well, they, it was, they, they even they even bring that up in this this episode 30s. where he goes, "I yeah. waited for you for two thousand years and you did it again. <laughs> you did it again, mm-hmm. right?" Uh, so the doctor's new console doesn't work until Idris gives it its energy to go, which is a nice touch. Uh, and they send a telepathic message to the pretty one, which turns out <laughs> to be Rory, not <laughs> Amy. <laughs> I, I like how you know, you know the doctor is male. He thinks of Amy as the pretty one. The TARDIS is female. She thinks of Rory as the pretty one. <laughs> yes, yep. uh, and it's a message to to get him to lower the shield so that they can phase in aboard the TARDIS in flight. Uh, and she sends him to one of the old control rooms, which he's archived, which the doctor says is impossible. And she says, "Well, uh, you know, you just don't know about it. I've been archiving them for neatness." For neatness, and, right. And we've seen alternate control rooms before. In the fourth Doctor's time, they introduced for a season or so an alternate control room. That, it was Sarah Jane's last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they introduced an alternate control room that was very ga- uh, steampunk ah. in its, in its uh, presentation. It had wood paneling and things like that. So we know the TARDIS has alternate control rooms, and the, the Doctor is surprised that there are any left because he's jettisoned them mm-hmm. in order to, in or, and, he, and she says, no, I've got these 30. And he says, I've only changed the desktop 12 times. And she says, yet. Yeah. So she's apparently, <laughs> she's apparent because she's a multi-temporal entity. She has control rooms from the future that the doctor hasn't used yet. Maybe she can but jettison the, the 13th she, doctors. She has from her perspective. Yeah. Yes, right. Let's jettison the 13th. Thir- <laughs> I, I have to say, I was a little disappointed that it was the ninth t- and tenth doctors control room and not like the first doctors or something. Yeah. You know, that would have been fun. Gaiman uh, wanted it to be the original classic control room, but they didn't have the budget for that. And what mm-hmm. they did have was the uh, the set for the ninth doctor that they had left standing just for this episode. Apparently, oh, okay. they'd kept kept it around. Okay, so as a Amy and Rory are running. Suddenly, Amy can't see. And then we have this, uh, you know, Rory goes around the corner, gets knocked out, but the house uses Rory's voice to lure her in to Ood Nephew. Uh, so there's this weird in- interlude there. This is a very weird sequence because it's everything up to now, like 
houses when he did the gravity anti-grav fail safes are off he what he did was he inserted a cord a corridor at right angles to yeah. the ones they're running down so they could fall down it like a pit with the with the gravity safeties off right and then you know separating them with doors and having time run appear to run at different rates all that makes sense but this sequence where amy goes blind is different because the way it's presented it's not that she's physically blind it's that to her the lights are off yep. but to her the light to rory the lights are on right and and this is very strange i don't know how the tardis is doing this exactly selectively making photons flow for one person and not another or maybe it's telepathic messing with their head their perception well, that's, 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 that's all this that. is yeah yeah that's all this is it's all just the the, the tardis the house with its consciousness having the telepathic link with them yeah basically well, messing be, with them and you know right. i mean that, that's that's at least that's how i how i saw it was basically just because yeah. we know that we've got the telepathic circuits in the tardis he was just using them to have fun yep i interpreted it somewhat differently based on the physicality of how it builds up with like the the pit corridor because yeah. that's something since the tardis has internally configurable geometry it could physically do that, and I assume that it can make time run at different rates and create alternate versions of Amy and Rory as a result. So this is maybe like a parallel Rory that did have to wait. Ooh, that's See, creepier. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that as being, again, a telepathic tri- trick because of the one where it was just the desiccated corpse, and then she turns, you know, Rory gets there and it disappears. It's just gone. Mm. And so yeah. I just saw that mm. as that was just a telepathic trick, it, the same I, I, one with the 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 old rory that she ran into i think the alternate timeline one though is is super creepier so (laughs) it is it is (laughs) so at the doors to the old control room they have to give it the password that uh idris has given them uh which is crimson 11 delight and the smell of dust after rain which earlier she had said was petrichor yeah and petrichor is a real word although i'm not familiar with it specifically referring to dust it's generally, in my understanding, just the smell after the first rain mm-hmm. of well, the it's, season. It's, I, as I understand it, or it's, a it's, rain. It's yeah. a basically bacteria that's in the soil produce this smell when it first right. starts to rain. Right, right. And they realize that it's you can't just say it; you have to think it. The different parts of it, you know, you have to think about crimson. You have to think eleven, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you have to feel delight, et cetera. To, and you uh, have to conjure the mental image or mental feeling of that smell. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they do get inside, and it is the the control room for nine and t- uh, doctors nine and ten. And as uh, as Ood nephew comes in to kill them, that's when the doctor and Idris materialize on their makeshift TARDIS console, where <laughs> Ood nephew is standing. <laughs> Poor Ood nephew is uh, scattered into molecules that they're now yep. breathing. I guess. Yeah. And now House asks his question again, why shouldn't I just kill you all? And the doctor comes up with the right answer, don't kill us because then we won't be able to help you. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so, like, Rory, take notes for the future. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> so as, meanwhile, the doctor has to explain who Idris is, that Idris is a woman and the TARDIS. And Amy has this great moment when she says, accusingly, did you wish for her really hard? <laughs> like, yeah. did you wish about, like that this beautiful woman would be the TARDIS? And I'm like, I had flashbacks to like the movie '80s movie Weird Science, where mm-hmm. they 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 the boys teenage boys create yeah. the beautiful yes the beautiful girl. He also, as he realizes that nephew Ood nephew is been dematerialized, 
he does make, say the line, another ood I failed to save, which is yeah. the doctor's great re- ongoing regret with the ood. He did save a bunch of them, though. Yes. As Idris is dying, the doctor does get House to promise not to kill them immediately. But it does realize it can delete the control room and thus tries to delete it. But they all end up in the main control room because there's a hardwired failsafe that means you can't delete a room with someone in it. If if someone's in the room that you try to delete, they get transported to the main console room, uh, which is House's error because once Idris is there, she can enter into back into the TARDIS and take over. So, so instead of a deus ex machina ending, we have a deus ad machina ending. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the god goes into the machine. Yes. Uh there is a uh, there's a line oh, the house gives uh, for for, for people who may not be familiar. Deus ex machina means the god from the machine, and it's a yeah. reference to classical Greek drama where the resolution of the play would often be provided by one of the Olympian gods, uh, played by an actor that would be lowered onto the stage by a winch, or so for the god from the machine. Yes, yeah. and it would have a, a an implausibly neat conclusion, which is how kind, is, the, like- is the reference today. Kind of like a lot of Doctor Who episodes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So House has the line where he says, I have killed hundreds of Time Lords, fear me. And the Doctor says in return, I killed them all, fear me. Which is kind of a, mm. you know, a, mm-hmm. a funny, if a bit dark <laughs> admission. Uh, and so, eventually Stephen Moffat will walk it back because, of course, he does. Of yep. course, because no, no one can die in, under Stephen Moffat's watch. But as Idris, the body, dies, her energy leaves the body and heads into the TARDIS. and. Ends up killing House. Basically, the mm-hmm. it ejects him and has no he has no place to go. And th- so, an image of Idris appears, like almost a hol- hologram of her appears, and she says hello and goodbye and I love you. And the Doctor gets emotional, and she notes this is when we talked. So yes. this is like this is it. This is the only time we get to talk. And until since they, the writers decide to change that, right? Yep. Although the implication is because she sees all of her existence. At once, because she exists in all those yeah. tons at once, this would be the only time. But you're right; they no, no rules bind the writers of Doctor Who. <laughs> Let's just yeah. put it that way. Uh, so Rory says at the end, Idris kept repeating something they'd need to know: the only water in the forest is in the river, which is going to be important at the end of the season. So uh, yeah, but that's where that comes from, uh, and uh, apparently in a line that Moffat inserted. Uh, so <laughs> oh, all clear- the- clearly, yes. All the bedrooms got deleted, as we said before, and so the doctor has to make a new one for Rory and Amy, and they ask him not to put bunk beds in it again, which is, you know, the married couple <laughs> in bunk beds, and he he doesn't get and, it. He doesn't get it because, you know, beds with a ladder, that's cool. And <laughs> it, it illustrates the boyishness of right. the 11th doctor, He because if you're a boy, a bed with a ladder is really cool. Yes, yes. Uh, so, I mean, make a bed with a ladder that's a king-size bed uh, elevated. That's all. So that's what I would ask for, because I think that's cool. He also suggests taking them to uh, the Eye of Orion to get some relaxation. Yes, or wherever we need to go. And then the levers yeah. do move on their own, showing that she's still there, alive, in the machine. And that's Which also explains... Which also explains things like why the 10th Doctor was able to just snap his fingers and get her to open the doors and things like that. Right. In fact, that's something that this that this Doctor does earlier when he's trying to get in there and back into the TARDIS, and he does snap his fingers and it won't open for him. And that's when he knows uh, he has no control over the TARDIS anymore. 
So yeah, that's a, a nice little moment there. And uh, he does mm-hmm. at first he kind of doubts that she's there. Are you there? Can you hear me? And then he's like, no, well, I guess not. And then when the levers move on their own, he does the ha ha woohoo uh, mm-hmm. moment where he realizes she's there, and that's where we end. So uh, any any final notes on this episode, Father Corey? Uh, they they called the uh, TARDIS consciousness the TARDIS matrix that is separate from the the knowledge of all or the the repository of all time lord knowledge known as the matrix that we've seen in the Sixth Doctor and other places as well. They yeah, are okay. they are not the same matrix. But that yeah. doesn't mean there can't be more than one matrix. So right, all right, Jimmy, any. So after this, I just, like I said, I love this episode. I thought it was awesome. It was great to get to see Neil Gaiman do this kind of world building with Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil Gaiman is one of a, of a bunch of comic artists, including Alan Moore and Grant Morrison, who have really interesting takes on classic material. Like the first thing that that um that Alan Moore did when he took over the Swamp Thing title was completely reinterpret who Swamp Thing is. Mm-hmm. And he he just recontextualized the character massively and it was fascinating. And they would do and he did the same kind of thing with Watchmen. And, you know, I was really looking forward, therefore, to see what Neil Gaiman would do with Doctor Who's mythology. And this did not disappoint. And so I was so stoked the next season to see the amazing things that Neil Gaiman was going to do in his next announced episode, but it turned out to be a nightmare in silver. Oh, right. Um, By comparison. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll look it up. I'll look it up later. But uh, yeah. (laughs) It's the Cyberman episode with Mr. Clever. Oh, right. <laughs> so, uh so I think that should do it for this one. Yeah, I I one of my favorites like like you said Jimmy, this is a, a lot of fun and a lot of cool like time lord doctor mythology handled well. Uh this is one of the best ones of the Moffat era and uh yeah. You know, oh, and I, sh- I I should mention uh Gaiman himself like reinterpreted Sandman. That's where he made his name in American comics. Okay. Yes. yes. Right, right, right. Remember. Yep. All right. So let's wrap that up there. We want to take a moment, of course, to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including uh, Cyprian C, Esther R, Ron B, Armin P, and Damien M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, you could join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And right now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron, because thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you become a new patron at $10 a month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows, So, including this one. So making your gift go even further. If you've been thinking about becoming a StarQuest patron, now is the time, so please visit sqpn.com slash give today. Uh, we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. And so that's it from us. Let us hear from you what you think of The Doctor's Wife, uh, if this is one of your favorites, or if you have any comments on what we had to say. You can do so on the show's uh, entry at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or you can send an email to Doctor Who at sqpn.com. 
We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the second Doctor story, The Abominable Snowmen. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, biting is excellent. It's like kissing, only there's a winner. Right. This is going to be fun.